Another Way to Play, episode 89. Once you figure out what you're good at, you have to think through, how can I only do that activity and delegate everything else to the best of my ability? Hey, this is Alex Barker, founder of The Happy Farm D. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is someone that I am fortunate to now call a friend, Alex Barker. He is the founder and CEO at thehappyfarmd.com, which is a business and career consulting and coaching firm for pharmacists. Uh, He actually started out his career thinking that he wanted to be a pharmacist, but quickly during his residency realized that wasn't the case and then spent the next roughly five years kind of bouncing around, buying courses, trying different businesses, selling stuff on Amazon until he realized through the help of one of his mentors and a mastermind he was a part of that he needed to focus in and then he found that he could help coach his fellow pharmacists to be better business people and better entrepreneurs. Uh, So that's what he's doing now. And in this one, we talk a lot about uh, really identifying whatever it is that you're very, very good at, and then trying to outsource the rest, as well as the process that you have to go through to get there. I mentioned just a second ago, he said he spent over five years kind of bouncing around trying to figure it out, and it eventually started to click for him. So when we get into that episode, listen up for that sort of thing. And before we get there, um, just remember, if you're getting value out of this, please head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review, uh, because it really helps me grow the show and uh, gain critical feedback on how to keep making it better. So thank you to those of you who've done that. And for those of you who have not, I really appreciate it in advance. So thanks again. And let's just go ahead and get into it with my buddy, Alex Barker. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really excited to have you on. Hans, happy to be here. Yeah, man. Well, it's been a while since we, and it's been kind of crazy trying to get this scheduled and I'm glad we finally made it happen. Um, We're here in the middle of the COVID era, trying to shelter in place, but still talking about business and what's going on. And, And you definitely have some interesting things going on, which I definitely want to get to, but let's first, build a little bit of context and talk about where your journey really began. I've always had a chip on my shoulder, so we probably should start there. All right. My mother divorced my biological father when I was like two. And I never knew how much of that had an effect on me until I was probably about 26, 25. But because of that, I've always had a desire, a yearning 
to like want to impress people. I was very lucky when I was about five, my mom remarried to a great man, a great dad, and I call him dad to this day. But despite that, like I've always been someone with a little bit of a grudge against humanity. So I was the class clown in school. You know, I was always the kid standing on desk trying to make everyone else laugh and make the teacher mad at me. I wanted to go into comedy, like in high school. I used to make, you know, comedy videos, uh, Lego stop animation stuff when I was a kid. But um, that's a scary career. You know, that's not a safe choice. I was good at math and science. And I didn't like touching people. So I was like, oh, pharmacy. (laughs) That'll be my career path. I think that was like the third career choice in those, you know, those assessment tests they make you take in, Mm -hmm. in school. And I was like, pharmacy, sure, 100 Gs a year. You don't have to touch blood, butts, or guts. Got to go to school for six years. And that, that sounds awesome. Sure, sign me up. So I went to college, was determined to do it for some reason. I had no real validation that I would actually enjoy this career or, or enjoy anything about it. No mention of business, not really an entrepreneur bone in my body. And um, got into the profession and immediately regretted what I did started practicing in a residency, which is similar to a medical residency, Mm -hmm. usually shorter. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm not really good at this. (laughs) I'm really struggling. um, Yeah. Wow. In this role. Although I do love teaching, um, I realized. And it was an academic institution where I did my residency. And I had a two-hour commute total every day. And that's where I fell in love with podcasting. I listened to all sorts of topics about leadership, self-development, and then that led me to business. And so from about 2012 to 2017, I was a entrepreneur, constantly building up businesses, some of them really successful. But most of the time, I would get distracted, usually about eight to 10 months down the road and I would switch my focus to something else and I would build a new business. You could maybe call that a serial entrepreneur, but all of them practically failed. And then um, during this time, I built up a lot of coaching skills, speaking skills, teaching skills, and I kind of narrowed down my focus to the Happy PharmD, which if you don't know, a PharmD is just a doctoral degree in pharmacy. And... uh, Focused on career coaching, honed in my craft, and left my job in 2018. And now this is what I do full-time. It's very much like an academic job without a university. I teach pharmacists how to have better careers, how to create businesses, and uh, we're doing pretty well for ourselves. That's awesome, man. Dude, so, so take us back to that moment when you first got into the job, you graduated, you did your six years, you did your residency, or I guess it was in your residency that you were like, yo, I don't like this. Like, <laughs> describe that for us a little bit. It's like the same feeling you get when you're fired from your first job. I don't know if you've ever been fired. Um, I, I been- fortunately have not been fired, so I can't relate okay. on that one. Uh, I got fired from a few jobs, mainly in college. 
usually the same story of this is not a right fit. Like there's something wrong with you. (laughs) Um, The feeling of what did I just do? And where do I go from here? I never have been one to feel like this is the end forever. Usually there's maybe an hour worth of self-pity and then I usually get up and move on with whatever the next thing is. Got it. So there was this feeling of like, what just happened and why am I here? And then what is going on? And then this time it sounds like it was a little bit different though. Yeah, this time it was, well, you know, I had put my hope in teaching in academia. You know, I thought I'm going to get some practice experience, real world experience. I'm going to rely on all of my teaching ability and I'm going to turn that into a professor job. And I didn't really like that after learning about business, after mm-hmm. learning about, oh, I could create a job for myself. That sounded a lot more appealing than dealing with the BS of bureaucracy, politics. Sure, it exists in business. Yeah. But in academia, it's a lot worse. And you've um, got the, the tenured <laughs> professorship you know, titles right. and all of that stuff yeah. that you have to navigate to uh, research assistants and all of those crazy positions that some of my friends and I'm sure many of yours have partaken in. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it sure it exists everywhere in business, but usually in business you can decide who you want to work with. Right. Mm-hmm. There's not a single partner I have, not a single colleague or contractor that I'm like, that guy's a turd nugget. Like I need him out of my life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But in, in academia, uh, that's, it's pretty hard to get rid of a tenured professor. And so I, I kind of always, I mean, technically, I guess it's still a, a backup plan. If the happy farm bee should fail, I can always pick myself back up and get into academia based on everything I've built up. It's kind of the beauty of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. You frankly can sell all of these skills into some other profession pretty easily. And I'm sure you've seen that now, just even with building a podcast and your real estate background, like you can always pick yourself back up. Totally. hundred percent. And you, speaking of pick yourself back up, you, you kept sounds like through some of the, the trials and like the, what did you refer to it as the serial entrepreneur days? You had sort of these different experiences along the way and then you ended up ultimately realizing that you needed to create your own job and position. Can you talk us through just some of those quick trial and errors and failures that you you had before you really started FarmD or Happy FarmD, I mean? It was the adoption of so many ideas at once. So because I listened to podcasts, I pretty much took the word of guests at their word. And I thought, oh, that's the way to make mm-hmm. money. All I need to do is just join this guy's course and, and I'll be rolling in the dough. And in a way, it was beneficial because I quickly learned what I'm awful at and what I'm good at. So I sold uh, stickers. I was bad at that, but I sold quite a few. I sold baby strollers on Amazon and eBay. I created content, created a marketing company that created uh, mostly pharmacy content. That did pretty well, but I was not consistent. And I finally landed on coaching, speaking. And those things I found 
success with. Um, a lot of my clients found success through my coaching ability and it was really the trial and error. Perhaps it's a mixture too of just quick adoption of skills and execution that really led me to where I am because I would quickly try to learn as much as I could and apply it as I was learning it to really justify, is this worth pursuing or not? I don't know about you, but now with COVID, you know, the marketing push right now to get everyone to start a business is so strong. And the assumption is for all of these different marketing ploys is you'll be good at this, right? Yeah. You'll be good at affiliate marketing. You'll be good at real estate. You'll be good at being an agent and selling Mm -hmm. insurance. You'll be good at, you know, X, Y, Z thing, but not everyone's going to be good because we're all different and, and I mean, it was, it was a tough numbers. It like, it just, sure. there's going to be a middle and there's going to be a below that and there's going to be above that. Like, it's just always going to be that way. Yeah. For my journey, I mean, it was five years that took me to land on the one. Because of all of the success and failures, you know, I kind of created a, a tempered approach. It's funny because I used to think like, once I turn like 33, that's when that's when my brain's going to calm down, right? (laughs) That's when I'm going to start having so many ideas. And I'm 32. I just turned 32. And I have found that I am in a much more tempered place because of my failures and because of my successes. You know, I'm no longer swayed by new shining opportunities that people present me and they say, you're going to make a killing. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been put through the ringer. It's interesting that perspective. I mean, you said it's like a five-year journey. You took a bunch of courses. You did like all these seemingly pretty random things that you're, I don't know. I mean, there's clearly a a path for you, but someone kind of on the outside talking about stickers and baby strollers and then marketing, you know, that I don't know where the path is there, but it's, it's there clearly. But you found that path and you tried things and basically took your time through all of that to then come to Happy Farm D where you're at now. How did you take those five years and then distill it into that idea that you then ran with and started to do something really cool with? Well, during this time, I had my pharmacist friends approaching me saying like, why are you doing this? You know, at the time, pharmacists in general are not interested in like business. Uh, That's kind of our culture, unfortunately. And I had people like asking me like, Hey, can you teach me how to do these things? And so I said, sure, let me figure out how to do that. And I learned coaching skills. I took some courses, I practiced, I learned, I read a ton. And so during this time, I developed, you know, the core functions of what a coach needs to do. And I had basically a a full-time income on the side, just coaching people. It was actually in 2016, I was a part of a weekly mastermind group. We had been meeting for about two years and everyone in the group had quit their jobs to do their business full-time. Now, All of them were older than me, had more life experience and had been in business longer. But I remember telling all of them, I feel like I should be further along than where I am. And I was really embarrassed to admit that to my group. And they said, you know, Alex, 
it's because you aren't willing to commit to one thing. You're not willing to go all out into just the one endeavor, give it everything you got and try to see if it's successful. And they were right. And so I talked with uh, my coach at the time and I made up this plan to commit to just one thing. And that's how the Happy Farm D was born. Out of all of my ideas I've ever come up with, career coaching within a niche is not very unique, but no one else was doing it. And there was a huge demand for it because of how burned out my profession is. Yeah. Um, and ever since I dedicated myself, like there's been no need to turn back and it's done very well for <laughs> where it came from. That's awesome. Can, when you identified that niche, cause this is something that comes up a lot is this concept of niche, right? Like, yeah. And yeah, you say it like that cause it's like <laughs> this overplayed word, right? And everyone's like, find your niche. And it's like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Fantastic. But what does that actually mean? But you, you clearly had some ideas or had identified some areas that made this a potentially successful niche for you. One of which was that there was little to no competition, it sounds like. But what were some of the other things that made you realize this was the place to go? Limitations, I think. There's only a few things that I'm good at. Coaching and teaching are one of them. Once you figure out what you're good at, you have to think through how can I only do that activity and delegate everything else to the best of my ability? And also knowing too that I live in a small town. I live in a town of like 3,000 people. Closest airport is about 30 minutes away, but it's very rural area. And I'm not willing to travel because I have a young family. I got two kids. So I'm not willing to like go on the big stage every other weekend to like try to sell myself. So knowing all of these things, like how do I present something that will immediately grab attention? And it was about narrowing down. Everyone says when you get like a guru on, they're like, Oh, you got a niche down. You got to, you got to pick a niche, you know, really well. And usually niches just end up being, it's what you know, it's who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a natural thing. It's not forced. It's not like, you know, I was niching down and all of a sudden I came up with uh, this blockchain technology for golf athletes. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's nothing like that yeah, usually. Right. Yeah. But uh, it really was just about seeing a need. No one was doing it. Before this, I mean, it, it was very difficult to like sell my coaching ability in the broad world of like business coaches, career coaches, and everyone else who's out there. But you look in pharmacy, no one was doing it. And mm -hmm. what's funny is as soon as you're the trendsetter, there's all sorts of copycats. And now mm -hmm. there are lots of people doing what I do. Um, that's a good yeah. and bad thing, I suppose. It, it should increase the quality, but... I like, um, I like what you said there at the end or the beginning rather was you had this um, realization that there's a couple things you're good at and you need to outsource the rest. I mean, a lot of us, especially as entrepreneurs, we're generally sort of go-getters and we want to tackle everything and do it all and feel like we're empowered. And then we build this like 80, 90 hour a week job for ourselves that pays like crap, right? <laughs> especially in the beginning. 
And I love the advice that you said there because I think that is so, even for me and my wife and everyone I know who's kind of in this space, that is something that is so hard to understand just at a core personal level because you build this thing and you make it personal in your own, whether you niche down to basically copycats of yourself or find another one, but like, it's like you, right? It's an extension of you. And then there's this ownership component over it. But Mm. when you can sort of outsource some of that stuff, whether that means hiring an assistant or finding a piece of technology that can help you, it's unbelievable how you can actually scale or sometimes it's a partnership, you know, whatever it is. Mm. But I love what you said there in that kind of path that you laid out. And then to that point, you know, you came in, you identified what you were really good at, which is the teaching. And then you obviously had the pharmacy background. There's not a ton of competition in that space. And now there is. So how has that niche changed for you since you first got into it? And then what are you doing to differentiate and to, to play in the space? Good question. So I don't want to tell tales out of school. Uh, <laughs> this, could get, this could get funny. The way we've differentiated ourselves is by simply delivering great service We've expanded our team in the beginning. Obviously, it was just me, but I've grown our coach team now to technically five, Mm -hmm. all pharmacists. Most of them specialize in a certain area Mm -hmm. of pharmacy and help people transition to new jobs. So this is kind of like a discussion about growth and from a coaching perspective. What you see most people doing is they build up this individual platform that sells themselves as the coach. But that is very, very difficult to scale unless you're like a Tony Robbins, right? Totally. So the way to grow something is by having other people, you know, do the work alongside you or for you. But all these people are, they're just by themselves. It's just them and it's their side gig. So what I tell people, because I know that some, they shop around and that's fine. The way we present our offer is, look, we're specialists. This is my full-time effort. We're in this to win it. And we have a team of coaches that help you as well as support staff, you know, to get you in. And really the big offer is what we do is we, most people have never talked to a career coach. And Mm -hmm. I was one of those guys that thought like coaching was that thing that you do when you can't do anything else, you know? You're, you're like hosp- the, the you're- gym teacher of, of high school, right? Yes, yes. As you're the dropout. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, I mean, I when in high school, I thought motivational speakers were garbage, you know? I've since changed my ways and realized the power of what they do. And I tell people, we're kind of like Disneyland, you know? As much as I could try to explain to you how great Disneyland is, you, you have to experience it. So we do complimentary coaching sessions with people that, you know, are really interested in in our program. And so the advantage of what we have really is just scale, accessibility, support, and we're just, we're constantly growing. Whereas most of our competition right now, they're all individuals that are trying to figure this out, you know. Totally. And maybe someone will push us over, who knows. But for now, we're taking it in stride. I'm torn on the competition thing because as an athlete, that's what fueled (laughs) me, right? 
Yeah. And like as a business person, same thing. Like I'm competing for the business, in my case, for a house or a buyer to represent and to sell. You know, yep. And then obviously in that we're competing with other buyers or other houses that are similar. So in that sense, I think it can bring the best out, but like, I don't necessarily want competition, but I want competition, but I don't want to compete. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's your fear, you know, listening to the scarcity mindset, right? Versus yeah. abundance mind. I like to tell people, you know, I believe in the abundance mindset until I'm scared. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I talk with prospects sometimes and they tell me, oh, you know, I've talked with this person and they say this and I go, okay, so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to go with? You know, you kind of yeah. just pose the question, but right. have you found competition pushing you in the right way or has it forced you to innovate the right way? That's exactly my point is like, it can be very healthy. And I think as an industry, it can sort of move us in a direction that hopefully is better for the end user. You know, I would all argue that Netflix did a great job with that and beat out Blockbuster. Like we used to go to Blockbuster twice a week and return movies and like do that whole thing and look at the covers to try and figure out what we're going to write. Yeah. Yeah. My local family video is selling CBD oil. Like what is going on? Okay. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's a new one. My town yeah. actually still does have a video rental store on the main street, shockingly. Oh, wow. And wow. It's, it's a mom and pop operation. But anyways, okay. um, it can go both ways. But I think it's a mindset thing. It's like, are you going to be, you know, just focused on the business, on the dollars, on the commissions, and that's going to force you to act a certain way in a competitive environment? Or are you going to, like what you described, just deliver the best quality, the highest value, even if you're not the cheapest, you know, and and how do you compete with yourself to be the best version of yourself? Like there's two tracks that are both competition driven. And I, I hope that more often than not, I aim for the, the latter, not the former. And I would say, sounds like that's what you're, you're trying to accomplish too. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, you know, the pie, it doesn't exist. If there is such a thing as an ever expanding pie, that is what we're dealing with because I mean, just a year ago, there wasn't as much money in the world as there is right now. It's constantly expanding. So the opportunities in my mind have always been endless. It's always a matter of, I don't know, just taking it in stride, being friendly with the competition and then be cutthroat in sales. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You have to have both, especially in a business engagement or frankly, in a work environment, like you have to close the deal for the interview. Like you go in for the interview, you got to ask for the job if you want the freaking job, you know, same thing. If you're interviewing to, you know, get a client, you have to ask them to be your client at a certain point. And that means they have to either say no to you or no to someone else. And there's, there is a sort of binary relationship there, but the abundance mindset you know, there's enough business, enough money, enough stuff. If you bring enough value that you will get your hopefully unfair share if you do that enough times. Exactly. Yeah, man, this has been great. Really appreciate you being on. I want to respect the rest of your day because I know you have a bunch of young kids running around. So I'm going to transition us over to the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Hopefully I don't fail. Yep. (laughs) Uh, What is the book that you have recommended most often? 
How to win friends and influence people. Good one. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Genghis Khan, um, strategy. Okay, that's a first. I love that answer. (laughs) What is one thing you believe that most people would disagree with you on? I got to think this through. They disagree with me on? Yeah, what's a controversial thought that you carry around all the time? Have you heard the whole mindfulness crap that's been going around? (laughs) Enlighten me. The mindfulness industry is now a multi-billion dollar industry that promotes meditation, resiliency. What this is, it's just a giant corporate whitewashed message to make people feel like what's wrong with them is themselves. It's Mm -hmm. Eastern religion being taught as mindfulness instead of trying to make businesses, healthcare systems in particular to run more efficient. They're teaching that it's not the system. That's a problem. You are the problem. The reason why you are burnt out is because you are not resilient enough or you don't have enough mindfulness. Mm. It makes me really mad that the whole thing is as popular as what it is because it's a heart issue and it's a systems issue, in my opinion. That's a good answer. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Uh, wake up. Sometimes I'm lazy, frankly. Entrepreneur life has been cushy during COVID-19. I can't go work out at the gym. So I have been reading my favorite comics in the morning. But then I do some self-care time with my wife. We have a dis- we usually just chat, take some time to read the good book, take some time for meditation or just reading in general. And then I usually get at it around nine. Awesome. Man, you've been awesome today. Really appreciate you taking the time with us, Alex. What is the best place online that people can connect with you? Social media. It's actually LinkedIn. You can check me out, Alex Barker. I'm a goofy looking redhead guy. You'll find me there. Or you can go to the website, The Happy Farm D. That's P-H, P-H, happyfarmd.com. And I'm going to link to LinkedIn and happyfarmd.com down below in the show notes so you don't even have to remember it. You just have to click. (sighs) Thank you. (laughs) Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate your time. Do you have any final words for us before we sign it off for today? Just keep hustling, my friends. Payoff will eventually happen if you're consistent enough. Well said. And that's it for today. If you got value out of that and you want to connect with Alex, head down to the show notes. He is on LinkedIn. I got his profile down there as well as the happyfarmd.com. It's down in the show notes, so it's easy to find. You can hear and learn more about what he's doing and how he's serving his niche, as we talked about on the show. And if you want to connect with me, my social profiles, as well as my Calendly link are down in the show notes, so you can connect with me one-on-one or just on social media down there as well. Thanks to those of you who've done that and looking forward to continue to connect with more of you in the future. But until then, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, and remember to make every chapter better than the last. 
Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.